Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malkin. Today, I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as a comedian, actor, and writer. Lover of sports and chocolate. Easily distracted by shiny things. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Tegan Higginbotham. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, well, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Oh, um, oh generally not with my job, that's for certain. I, I'll, just, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say hello and try not actually to talk about my job as much as possible, which might seem a bit strange. Um, I'm one of those people who often lies about what I do, especially if I'm in like a cab or something like that. I, I say I'm an accountant. Mm-hmm. Why do you opt from telling the truth about your job? Because um, it's a strange job to talk about. It's also quite confusing because I do about 50 different things and I'm just I'm also just generally more interested in, in what other people have to say, especially <laughs> Uber drivers. They've always got really fascinating stories, so I prefer mm. to hear what they um, what they do with their time. Do you prefer Uber over taxi? Um. I would have said absolutely yes until a recent experience where I actually had to go through their customer service uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a really bad customer service setup that they've got in that you can just never talk to anybody and I think you just get cut and pasted answers. So um, they're excellent unless a problem arises, in which case they're, they're terrible. So I, I finally experienced the bad side of Uber and it was just about a week and a half ago, unfortunately, and it has tainted them a little bit for me. But as far as the actual travelling experience, I think Uber is far superior. What's your best customer service experience? Oh, um, you know, it would have probably been a couple of years ago when um, I, uh, twice in a row, I bought a a block of Cadbury Top Deck chocolate, which I'm awfully passionate about. (laughs) And in both cases, the chocolate was kind of, you know, it gets all grey. It had Mm. gone all grey and all the white chocolate bits, like the milk chocolate bits, were separating from the white chocolate bits, which is just not acceptable. Um, So I got on social media and just had this rant and didn't expect anybody to notice. And Cadbury got back in contact with them and they're like, we can understand why you're really devastated. And um, we're just really sweet about it, actually. <laughs> and they asked me, they, well, they said that if I wanted to get more chocolate sent out, um, they would do that. And I didn't follow them up. I should have. But uh, I, I was actually just happy enough that they got back in contact and were, were sympathetic of my cause. You sound very easily placated. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. Well, it was also, I mean, you try to be reasonable and it was just chocolate. With Uber, it was a slightly different case and I got overcharged horrendously um, Mm. and just never got to the bottom of that problem, unfortunately. What is your experience of family? Wow, that's, um, that's, ooh, what a good one. Uh, They're what you want them to be and Mm. they're what you make them for yourself. And I, um... I, I have a very strange family unit and I'm not very close with a lot of the extended family, but I have friends such as my very long-term comedy partner, Adam McKenzie, and his brothers who are in my life, their family to me. And mm. I just think that it's um, you just make your own family as you go and I think that's the best way to treat family. And if you have one of those beautiful families where, you know, everybody's friends and you have big Christmases, that's amazing too and you're a very fortunate person. Are milestones important to you? Um, 
what type of milestones? You're talking about things like birthdays and stuff like that? Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I think they are, and I think they can also be sometimes, you know, a bit tricky. Um, mm-hmm. you, uh, not that I think I'm getting old. I'm not one of those people who thinks that they're getting old. But I was one of those people who, when I was, you know, about 14, had set out everything I wanted to achieve by the time I was 30. And I'm getting close to 30 now. and None of them are done. Um, so, <laughs> so, And they're just so far from ever being completed that I think sometimes milestones can be a little bit uh, hard in that sense that you you can almost feel like you haven't done enough. But But at the same time, if you keep a list of all the things you've achieved in a year, you can sometimes be thoroughly surprised at, at what has been in there. Yeah. When it comes to celebrating the minutia of life, mm-hmm. do you find that, yeah, it's good, I'll get over it, or are you, yeah, we need to, like, let's throw a party because so we did something and it was really cool? I... That's that's a really good question. I am trying to um, get into the habit of ce- celebrating things a little bit more. Mm. I'm a very goal-driven person and I do have very lofty ambitions. And I think sometimes when you, you know, when you're aiming for really big things, you can not stop to be grateful for the little things that have happened. Um, you know, case in point for me, it's personally, it's, you know, it's, it's job goals. So mm. sometimes I'll have something come through. And it wasn't necessarily the job that I'm waiting for. It's not, you know, the lead in an action film, which is one of the crazy dreams I have. Um, <laughs> and you can just brush over where, brush over a little bit where it's like, no, 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 I need to, I need to come back and take notice of the fact that this has happened because it is, it is an important thing and somebody's given me a job and I should be grateful and, yeah, all that sort of stuff. So I'm trying to make it more of a habit to really celebrate those nice moments when they happen. What's the worst job that had the best outcome for you? Hmm. Worst job that had the best outcome. That's a very, oh, it's hard to think because there's been so many bad jobs. (laughs) 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 Sometimes it can be the really hard gigs that, that you learn great lessons from the ones where Mm -hmm. you die on stage and, um, and it makes you stronger. I had a really tough gig last year that um, uh, I died on the stage at the Sydney Opera House. I, I, I died hard and it was oh. an incredibly painful set for me. It was an incredibly painful night. Like everybody who I would not have wanted to have that performance in front of was there, not to mention oh. the cameras that were filming it. And I went home and, well, sorry, I didn't go home. I actually went back to a hotel that I was staying at in Sydney. And it was that night of going, if I'm not going to quit now after that, Mm. I'm probably not going to quit. And if that gig didn't break me, I doubt any gig is going to break me because that gig was terrible. (laughs) And and it didn't. And I'm writing a new show for the next comedy festival and, and I will improve and I will aim never to let that gig happen again. But um, I think the best thing that came out of it is is knowing that I can, I can pick myself up after after horrible performances. Yeah. Do you have any uh, anybody or or a couple of people that you would count as uh, mentors in your profession? Um, 
for me, I've been influenced very heavily by uh, Adam McKenzie, who I mentioned before. Mm. Um, just his sense of humor, it, it makes me deeply happy. I, I, I enjoy the way he approaches comedy. He's um, He's got a very he's very loyal and he puts friends first and he's very big on making the performance about fun. And I know that sounds cliche, but when you're doing long festival seasons and when there's not a chance that you're going to make a lot of money, if you're not having fun, there's just really not much point in doing things anymore. So he's really Mm. big on just making sure that the environment is positive and, and happy. And that's been something really good for me to be around and to learn from and to try to try to continue in that spirit as well, even when I'm performing by myself. So I definitely count him as one of those people. But I've, I've had the pleasure of performing around some wonderful comedians, you know, Celia Pecola, who's going mm, gangbusters yeah. at the moment. And we were performing together when I was, gosh, maybe 19, 20. And I've seen her work ethic and just her sheer drive and just the she's just constantly pushing, she's constantly working, and it's been really wonderful to see her as well. And, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a good industry to be in in Melbourne because there are a lot of people there to inspire you. As a, a female in what has been a very male-dominated industry, mm-hmm. do you find that in 2015 – there are still just simple equity things that you have to overcome? I find one of the most interesting things actually, and this is no, uh, not to come across very negative or anything, but I still am yet to have an interview without the question being asked or the issue of my gender being raised, which means that it is still a thing. It definitely is still a thing. Um, do I, I feel really bad now. No, 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 don't feel bad, don't, because I find it fascinating and it, it, it's something that I do find interesting. Um, on a, There have been experiences that I've had, definitely. Um, mm. It's a much better industry now and I, I am one of those people who I'm not ever going to be disrespectful to the women who have worked hard to, to get me in the position that I am now where I'm not facing that stuff regularly um, because mm-hmm. I know that 10, 15 years ago from – people who I've spoken to, that it was horrendous to be a female comedian. And there are still incidents that happen. I, the, the story that I tell, which, um, which sums up some of my experiences being a female comedian, was um, getting back announced. So I just finished a gig. The MC yep. got back on stage and was like, that was Tegan Higginbotham. Was she funny? I'm not, I'm not sure. I was too busy masturbating at her. That happened, and I was very young at the time. I it was, I think it was my second or third gig. It was really early days, and um, oh no, maybe maybe a little more than that. But it was definitely in the first little while, and I I didn't follow up with that. I didn't. Whereas now, if that happened, holy shit, <laughs> I pity the fool. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, and there are still certain certain rooms that I'll go to where I can tell that the audience is is a little uncomfortable with. Not uncomfortable, just not used to seeing a female comedian, especially because I talk about sports as well, which just adds another layer of things being <laughs> jarring on top of that. So it's this really interesting uh, question to answer um, because it's not something that's a struggle for me every day and I know that the industry is far better for it, but absolutely there are still a few issues there. The only question that I actually ever get um, pissed off with, and you would never think to ask this, is are women funny? That's the one that you hear a lot around comedy festival, and you see that mm. thrown around a lot. And that's that sort of um, that that idea is the one that we have to just get rid of altogether. The idea that that question could even be asked. Yeah. 
It's it's preposterous. It is. <laughs> what are you passionate about, Tegan? Um, I love making people laugh. I'm mm. very passionate about that. I'm really incredibly passionate about films. Um, when I, since I was very young, whenever I go to cinemas and the opening credits start, I still to this day get goosebumps, uh, which is a really lame thing to admit out loud. But like when the 20th century Fox thing comes up or, or you hear the drums, I, I get goosebumps because I am so, um, films just make me so happy and, and, I, and I love a good movie. And it doesn't necessarily need to be the smartest movie. Like Aliens is, is one of the, my top films and it's just mm. good action, Mad Max this year, blew my mind on so many levels and that film made me so deeply, deeply happy. Uh, so I'm really passionate about films mm-hmm. and, uh, and, I, and I really like food. So that gets in the list as well. <laughs> Love food. Oh, man. It's my happy place. I, I don't think that there's anything lame about, uh, you know, getting goosebumps in that kind of environment. I mean, isn't that what movies are about? I think they are. It's uh, maybe maybe everybody feels that way about films. I'm not sure. I know that I know that you can now very openly celebrate films and really get into them in a way that, you know, social media has just provided this outlet where I can get online and just just talk for for ages about how much I love Harry Potter and how excited I am about the new Star Wars film and and you can just really get behind it and I, and I mm. I'm glad that there is that outlet there as well. I mean tonight for example I'm doing a gig uh, it's called Erotic Fan Fiction and I'm going to do this mm. 50 shades of gray mashup with Star Wars and I yes. love knowing that there are so many nerds out there that my my stupid jokes that they're going to get them like that's really exciting <laughs> for me. <laughs> I'm going to say things about Darth Vader that just should not be said. Who says they shouldn't be said, <laughs> Tegan? Exactly. What, what film, at, thinking back to the start of this year, what film were you most anticipating? Um, there's actually quite a few. This year has been huge. Star Wars is mm. the big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mad Max was the big surprise. I mm-hmm. actually got dragged along to that. I wasn't – I've seen the first two films, uh, first two or three, three I um I appreciated them, but they weren't for me. Yes. Uh, so I just wasn't expecting to love Mad Max. But uh, Hunger Games is we're going to get the last installment of that. That's very exciting. I was so excited, excited about Mission Impossible and Bond, mm. the new Bond. I'm a massive Bond fan. Yeah. So it's um it's been a really good year for films, actually. Would you, given the opportunity, be the first? female yes. bond. I don't even need the answer to the, the whole question, sorry. Yes, yes I would. <laughs> I um, wouldn't that wouldn't that come with backlash though? Oh yeah, but that's okay. You just you just stay off social media and enjoy being the first female bond. <laughs> I'll deal with the backlash. <laughs> I think um I think I recall there was a story about Angelina Jolie was um approached about being a bond woman. And mm she had replied, well, why can't I be Bond? And after that, they kind of set about um, putting her in that film Salt, which I actually mm. thought was a really good film. I quite enjoyed that. And uh, I think that there, there, is a, there is now there's some really good, strong female action heroes coming through. Katniss Everdeen is another good example, actually. Mm. And then you've got Charlize Theron in, in Mad Max who just stole the show, which she was incredible. Mm. So, um, yeah, why can't we have a female Bond? 
mean, still have all the Bond ladies. It'd be hot. It'd be great. <laughs> yes, it would. Where is the line between public and private for you? Um, if I've put something up on social media, that's public. Um, and if somebody hacked into my computer, that is very private. Uh, it's, it's tricky. I haven't been confronted with this very much. I found that there's a website online where, um, hang on, I should explain this story further just so I don't sound like I Google myself regularly. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody had needed a photo of me um, for a gig and I I, I didn't feel like looking through my computer and stuff like that. So I was like, I know it's, it's on Google images. So I'll just type that in. And I found a load of other images of mine that have been dragged from uh, my social media profiles, put on a separate website and people on that website talk about those photos. Now, apparently this is very normal. I I was freaked out at first, but then I saw that it happens to a lot of people and I was like, okay, calm down, calm down. Until then I saw that one of the photos that was dragged onto this other site was me holding my newborn nephew. Now, uh, that I put that photo up online. I made that photo Mm. public. Uh, So, so, you know, it wasn't private anymore, but I felt really it kind of disgusted me seeing that photo had been taken and, and had posted, been posted somewhere else. And that really, I, I had to become a lot more aware then of what I was posting. And I think just constantly, constantly reminding myself that stuff is, is public and that people are looking and people are, you know, yeah. And that some people are scary. <laughs> I think that's a good thing to remind myself occasionally. How do you deal with the scary people? Um, I, I, I accidentally looked in that other folder on Facebook the other day because mm-hmm. uh, a lady had contacted me about a gig and sent that she'd said that she'd sent me a message and I didn't get it. So I looked in the other folder on Facebook and that was there along with so many messages of people saying really aggressive things, including one woman who um, just basically sent me a message telling me to die and was all full of death threats mm. and horrible stuff. And, um, at first that was really shocking and I, I didn't quite know how to take it and I called a couple of friends just going, what do I do? Because I went through this, first I was really shocked and a bit upset, then I got really angry and I was like, lady, you've just given me your name and I know where you live, I'm going to post this on social media, I'm going to completely shame you. And then I was like, well, I don't know if I can do that, you don't know who this person is, you don't know what mental state they're in, you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to start a snowball thing that causes like a horrible thing in this woman's life. Mm-hmm. It was very strange. I think that the um, the conclusion at the end of it was just block, 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 ignore, ignore, ignore. And if something gets too scary, you know, you, you show it to the police or something like that. But the, what was really sad though was that when I brought this up with my friends was that a lot of them have experienced similar things. And I just find that baffling. I find it baffling that so many people are sending people aggressive or or horribly sexual or, yeah, just mean messages. I, I find that a strange world that we live in now that's just like, oh, yeah, here's my list of death threats. Like, that's not normal, right? I, I don't know if it's that I live a very sheltered life or that I have a penis, Tegan, but I just can't conceive of some of that that people experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I that was my – I don't experience this a lot, so I was very new to it. I, I do have a couple of people in my life who experience it on a very regular basis, and they're fortunately really strong, wonderful, mature people, and they can just laugh it off and try and ignore it. But it is always confronting and, and I think a bit upsetting when you just see how angry some people can get and 
how much aggression there is out there. What can't you tolerate? Um, I'm my tolerance for things. Not that there should ever have been a tolerance, but my tolerance for just racism and hate is mm. is just going down. And that's not to say I would have ever thought it was okay, but I think just in the past few months, with uh, with the news as it's been, I'm just. I'm just so tired of the fact that we just don't have equal marriage in this country and that people are still being made to feel bad because of their sexuality. Like, it's just, I'm done. It's, it's just not a cool. It's not cool. Let's move on. Just the way that, that people are being treated, just the racism, some of the comments I see on social media, you know, we're going through the the Syrian refugee crisis at the moment Mm. and, and just some of the horrible stuff you read. It's um, my, my tolerance and my ability to deal with that is, is getting, is getting worse, unfortunately. Mm. Were you always compassionate growing up as a, a child? Was that something engendered in you or something that you have developed? I, th- I think a lot of people are, are naturally compassionate. I'd like to think that that's just what we as humans default to. But I think it's, it's as you get older, you become aware of more stuff that's happening in the world and you realise there's a lot more to be compassionate about. You know what I mean? It's not just your small little bubble anymore. There's a whole world. But I think that most people out there on the whole are, are very compassionate just by default. What reality TV show would you love to star in? I wouldn't like to be on any reality TV show because you, um, you can't control your story, but you are mm-hmm. performing as yourself. So I, would, I, I don't think I'd ever go on a reality TV show. Um, you know, when that offer gets made, we'll see how much money they want to pay me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's pretty risky because I mean, you look at now we're currently in the season of uh, the third season of the bachelor in Australia. Mm -hmm. And you're hearing a lot of the girls coming out of the house and being quite devastated at how they've been portrayed. And on one hand you're like, but it's you. And you said those things, but then, then you read about all the coaxing and, and I know that things can get twisted and things are taken out of context. So I don't think it's my dream by any means to star in a reality television show at all. Is there one that you just can't miss watching? Um, no, I can miss I can miss any reality TV. I um, Oh, actually, then again, would you consider Great British Bake Off to be reality? Yes, ma'am. Well, then actually then I take back everything I just said. Um, I would happily be on the Great British Bake Off, uh, and I will bake the shit out of some scones. Um, actually, that is just one of my favourite shows. Full stop. They've they've created a reality reality TV show where the emphasis is everybody just being really lovely and making friends, and they keep crying at the end of it. <laughs> and now the one's coming out. It's got Mel Buddle and Claire Hooper, and that just makes me deeply happy. Yes, cannot wait for the Australian version. It's going to be great. I, the, the second iteration uh, of it. Uh, yeah, this is going to be marvellous. Yeah, and I didn't see the first iteration, so I'm really looking forward to seeing this one. This may seem like a loaded question. Please understand that it's not. Okay. What is your favourite sporting team and why? Oh, that's easy. It's Carlton. That's that's that's. Is that why should that be loaded? Am I missing something? It's completely well, Carlton. The why part. The why part comes in and I want to understand more of why Carlton. Uh, because Carlton is part of my, it's part of my upbringing. 
Carlton is part of the relationship I have with my father because we both, uh, you know, we both enjoyed football together and mm-hmm. football was the main sport in our household. So that's that's why it's it's such an important thing to me. And, you know, it's a terrible team at the moment. We've just ended <laughs> bottom of the ladder. Uh, and I, I really think it's going to be a long time before we're good again. And, um, you know, it's, it's a hard team to follow at the moment, but there's just, there's never going to be another football team for me. So... It's unfortunately just one of those things that's part of my, my part of my heritage. Yeah. <laughs> if you had chosen to, assuming you had the choice to, to follow another team, mm-hmm. could you have and what would the implications of that be? Uh, by the time I was old enough to have that thought process, it was like it was too late. I was already Carlton. <laughs> I half yes. expect that it, it would have been – like it would have been a team with a cute animal that I liked or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I my Quidditch team is the Montrose Magpies. If that's if that's anything like I've chosen my own Quidditch team, um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I I don't think it was ever an option to not be Carlton in my life. Yeah. How is Quidditch played in a Muggle world? Uh, well, I don't know because there's magic and. I don't know, but it is. Shut up. It's real. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's not real, Tegan. I'm, I'm intrigued as to how it actually happens, given that my understanding of, of the game is that the sheer premise is it's on flying broomsticks. Yeah, it is, but you're a muggle, so you don't understand. None of us do. Um, it's, I read the uh, the um, one of the books that J.K. Rowling released for um, Red Nose in, Australia, in, mm. in the U.K., and she had this beautiful book called Quidditch Through All the Ages and it listed all the teams and it was a really cute and lovely book. It was a really lovely thing actually. Yeah. It, it's all in there. I'm pretty sure the details. What is your obsession currently? Ooh. Uh, what am I obsessing about at the moment? It is, it's a bit of Great British Bake Off because that's on telly. Um, mm I've gone back to eating ice magic from the bottle and I'm thinking about that a lot for some reason. Mm. I should really stop doing that. I have a feeling that could be the worst thing for my health. Um, Can't see how. I'm actually, I'm like, I'm not, I'm in a weird holding phase at the moment. There's a lot of stuff that's coming soon, but I'm. You're waiting for stuff to obsess over. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm in a, just a bit of a cold stage at the moment. There's nothing that I'm, I'm completely obsessed with right now. Who are your literary heroes? Hmm. If we're just going to be really personal about it, J.K. Rowling, and it is that is that horrible thing she wrote, not horrible, but it's that very cliche thing. She wrote all the Harry Potters and they just meant mm. a lot to me, especially when I was growing up in high school and all that horrible boring stuff about just being a little bit different and I found solace mm. in Harry Potter. But it's the truth and those books <laughs> did mean a lot to me. Um, yep. I, I really love the work of Roald Dahl. Yes. Um, and I think his stories are great. And they, my early primary school years, they were very important books to me, Matilda in particular. I really liked Matilda. Um, but the funny thing is I've just gone blank on a lot of other authors. I'm reading Zadie Smith at the moment, some of her new work. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm finding her voice to be really quite interesting as well. So I'm enjoying that. But, yeah, 
actually, now that I'm answering this and coming up so blank, I, I, I'm being reminded I need to read more books. <laughs> <laughs> do you have many escapist elements to your personality? What, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, elements that are, I'm happy in the real world. I, I know and acknowledge my place and those sorts of things, but I much prefer in different times, in different situations, not being here, but being somewhere else. Oh, okay. Um, I, I tend, I tend to listen to a lot of music more so than podcasts. I'm sorry to say that on a podcast, but I do um, prefer listening to music sometimes because it gives me a really good outlet to just daydream and zone out a little bit. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm not really a gamer, and I, you know, I don't do a lot of that sort of stuff. And and I haven't been reading heaps at the moment, so I'm generally more present. Um, but I, I can be a bit of a daydreamer. Has your daydreaming ever got you into trouble? Uh, yeah, especially during festival season. So when comedy <sighs> festival comes around and uh, you have to try and see as many shows as you as you can, and there are so many wonderful shows and you want to support your friends, but sometimes towards the end you'll be in these shows and I'm like, I know this is great, but I just can't focus. Oh, no, I'm thinking <sighs> about having sex with Daniel Craig. Oh, no, I missed your joke. Oh, God. Um so occasionally I've missed maybe the last 10 minutes or so of people's shows just because I've, I've started daydreaming. Um, but I'm also, my work at the moment involves me writing. So if I'm daydreaming, it's it's not too bad. I can zone out and I don't get into too much trouble. How do you balance comedy and life? I think that your comedy is better the more you're living life. You've got to find that balance. So I think, actually I can't say in general, but for me personally, my comedy suffers if I'm not having fun and being creative just outside of comedy. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to put more of an emphasis on going on holidays that aren't work driven, that are just purely holidays and trying to turn off my phone as much as possible and just make sure I'm doing things still like cooking and going to see exhibitions and just, yeah, making sure that I'm still inspired in other areas or else my comedy does fall flat. Can I ask you a question about that Sydney Opera House gig? Sure. What was the first gig after it like? It was fine. It was a small gig and it went well. Um, but, yeah, it, it did take a little while to to bring my confidence back up again. And, you know, I think it's still – it's actually still – still a painful one to even talk about and you know you know when you have those horrible times when your brain goes I'm going to think of everything that hurts to you, that it hurts you to think about right now that's a mm. that's a that's a memory that pops up very regularly but you know I can only make it better by one day getting back on that stage and doing a better gig so that's that's another goal to walk to work towards what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months I'm going to perform a new comedy festival show which I'm really excited about. It's coming together really well and I'm enjoying the subject matter a lot. Excellent. Um, I last year had a, a big year of of getting some really cool filming jobs and all that sort of stuff and now they're just beginning to come out. So it's really nice actually getting to see some of that stuff finally on screen and to show my friends what I was doing. So that's been, that's been quite enjoyable and one of those projects, Oddball, um, comes out yes. next week. So I'm really excited to, to just see what people think. And yeah, that's a, that's a new experience for me. Um, I hope to travel again mm-hmm. and yeah, at the moment, the big focus is on, is on the new comedy festival show. Yeah. Well, it's, it's that time of year, isn't it? it when is. you need to focus on it. It is indeed. 
Tegan, thank you so much for sharing what you have so willingly and, and openly with me. I, I really appreciate it. Know that you are highly valued and the things that you shared today are very special. Thank you. Ah, oh, thank you. That's lovely. <laughs> Obviously, you are on Twitter. I am. Uh, but are there any other social media accounts you want to own up to? Uh, I have Instagram. I think it's just my name. I think it's just Tegan Higginbotham. I should know what my Instagram thing is, but I think it's just my name. And, um, yeah, I think those are the two I'm focusing on. I don't I'm, – I'm falling out of love with Facebook, I'll be honest. It's, mm. it's, it's not my favourite anymore. So I wouldn't be surprised if I actually pop off Facebook soon. This is the best place to share that feeling. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> this has been the Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Tegan MH is indeed